the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country cheers me. Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Oh, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Thursday, the seventh morning of the ninth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. We're jammed today, jammed up. Uh, a lot of great guests, all of them very, very important. Coming up in about a half an hour, we will talk with the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and the uh, Weaponization Subcommittee, member of the Oversight Committee, about all of the latest in the investigations into the first family of crime. Jim Jordan will join us. He is normally, of course, our Monday, but he is a Thursday, thanks to a uh, glitch in the schedule. He will join us at 9.35 to talk about what's happening in the DOJ. Why is David Weiss now the special counsel? Uh, announcing that he's going to indict Hunter by the end of the month. What does this mean? What does it mean in the bigger picture of the DOJ obstructing virtually every element of the investigation into the Biden first family of crime and their corruption? We're also going to talk to him about COVID tyranny underway and what can be done from the congressional side of things in order to stop what is on on the way. We talked at... Uh, some length, uh, in some depth, about um, a proposal by Senator J.D. Vance, who is doing a phenomenal job since he took over, 
uh, and that is to um, uh, to essentially create a federal ban on forced mask mandates, a ban on anybody being forced to do that. We talked about this in some uh, depth with Jack Windsor yesterday, and uh, I thought it was going to be kind of toothless, but the more I looked at it, and when Jack uh, shared it on uh, his uh, news outlet, the Ohio Press Network, come to find out it's a little stronger than we thought, which is probably why it will never go through. But we are going to talk talk to Jim Jordan about what other options there are congressionally uh, that might be there for people to stop having to go through more COVID tyranny. So all of that conversation is coming up this morning at um, at 9.35. At 10.10, since it's Thursday, we will talk with Dr. Everett Piper, as we do each and every Thursday, to guide us through the culture wars. At 10.35, I'm very much looking forward to this one. Dr. Peter McCullough is one of the uh, most courageous uh, doctors working in America. Why? Because he has been challenging the CDC. He has been challenging Dr. Fauci. He's been challenging the shots. He's been challenging Big Pharma for the, the duration, from literally the first moment of COVID-19 and everything that came after. He is, uh, he is one, of the, one of the most in- extraordinarily intelligent men who has the courage to actually share what he knows about the realities and the dangers of the COVID-19 shots and the COVID-19 protocols. So Dr. McCullough, who hosts uh, a substack with uh, courage, called Courageous Discourse with John Leake, he's a cardiologist, internist, scientist, epidemiologist. Like I said, he has got it all down. We talked to Dr. Robert Malone last week. We have Peter McCullough today. We're going to continue to work our way through as many of the frontline doctors as we can, the ones who have been willing to put their entire careers on the line to tell the truth and try to, 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 to uh, try to save people from the big pharmaceutical industrial complex. And that is exactly what it is. So that conversation is coming up at, uh, at uh, 1035 this morning. And then at 1110, there's a new app that you've got to be aware of. In the face of all of the left-wing Silicon Valley platform apps, there is a new one that we are very, very excited about, and we're going to tell you about uh, when we talk to Chuck Barham. It's called Freedom Square. If you have not yet downloaded Freedom Square to your phone, um, then do it. Patriot Mobile is partnered with uh, Freedom Square. It is a phenomenal app. I use it every day. I've been using it, even though it hasn't been released to the public for very long. I've been using it. i got an advanced uh, screener of it, if you will, so that I can kind of uh, give my feedback on it. And uh, I'm looking forward because I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Featured posts from the Washington Times, from Hot Air, from The Federalist, from uh, One American News, from Mark Levin, from Gateway Pundit, from Town Hall, The Daily Caller, The Daily Wire, and on down and on down the line. It's just um, it is a phenomenal place to go and get the real news that the corporate news media does not want you to have. It's it's just it's an idea that's quite frankly long overdue. I mean, I've been doing conservative talk radio for many, many, many years. And I know how hard it is to seek out and and find conservative um, opinions, conservative explanations and coverage and reporting of news events. Uh, you have to go and do a lot of very, very difficult searching to find very, you know, uh, various uh, pieces of information that the corporate media, the legacy media, the mainstream media, the leftist media doesn't want you to have. It's a chore. It is. And guess what? Now it's kind of all compiled in one place, and that is the Freedom Square app. So I strongly recommend that you uh, check out uh, Freedom Square. 
and download that to your phone like I have it right now. I'm literally looking at a bunch of stories that I may talk about on this very program today. So we're going to talk to Chuck Barham about that coming up at 1110 this morning. So there you go. We've got four guests and uh, a lot of important information to cover, and I want to do that with you at 216-901-0945. Now let's pause and start our day with our Pledge of Allegiance. We got a little behind yesterday. I think it was yesterday, and we did it a little bit late in the first hour, but let's do it now when you have come to expect it. If you've got a flag, go ahead and face it. If you can stand, go ahead and stand and put your hand on your heart and join us for our pledge. If you are a believer in the two-tiered system of justice that targets pro-lifers and throws them in prison, but allows rioters, looters, and murderers in BLM and Antifa riots to walk free, well, then you don't believe in justice at all, and thus that flag. Therefore, don't pretend. You don't have to feel compelled to stand. You are exempted from that request, and instead you may take a knee next to that unemployed Marxist quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under god indivisible with liberty and justice for all all right so let me just dive in right there um with the two-tiered system of justice if you're a little bit new to the show you probably don't know that I like to tie whatever it is I say before the uh, Pledge of Allegiance into one of our top stories in the opening monologue. And, um, yeah, uh, there, there are two of them that are just mind-blowing when we talk about the two-tiered system of justice. There's a great article in Town Hall, townhall.com, about the five pro-life leaders who protested inside of an abortion clinic in Washington, D.C., who are now facing over a decade in federal prison after a jury trial found these co-defendants guilty of violating a Clinton-era law that forbids interference with so-called reproductive health care services, otherwise known as, generally speaking, murdering babies. By forming a pro-life blockade back on October twenty-second, 2020, so this is in COVID-era time, a blockade that, quote, obstructed access, end quote, to the Washington Surgia Clinic, an abortion shop in D.C. that advertises babies up to 27-plus weeks of pregnancy are aborted there. They're, they're proud of this. They advertise this. Lauren Handy, Will Goodman, John Hinshaw, Heather Idoni, and Herb Garrity were all convicted this past Tuesday on charges brought forth by Biden's Justice Department. Felony convictions, conspiracy against civil rights, and freedom of access to clinic entrances as uh, and uh, FACE Act violations. DOJ attorneys prosecuting the pro-life activists alleged that the co-defendants engaged in a conspiracy to try to pray and save babies. They mobilized on Facebook beforehand, which is where the conspiratorial charge comes in, an event that mostly Christian co-conspirators organized as a faith-based rescue to save babies from being slaughtered. But in furtherance of that conspiracy, the defendants traveled to the D- to a D.C., hailing from an assortment of Northeast and Midwestern states to participate in their live-streamed protest. Now, I'm going to pause here to let you understand the, uh, well, to ensure that you understand. I'm sure you already do. 
protesters who pound on doors um, uh, at the Supreme Court are okay. Protesters who block traffic and put people's lives in danger are okay. Protesters that smash windows, light fires, light cars on fire, buildings on fire, they're okay. Protesters who assault people, commit extraordinary amounts of vandalism, they're okay. Protesters that loot stores, all in the name of social justice, they're okay too. Protesters who pray at or inside of abortion clinics, they're convicted felons. They've got to go to prison for a decade. This is an astounding story. According to the two-count indictment, within the waiting room, the pro-life protesters blocked the abortion business's doors and created a physical obstruction to impede the facility's baby-killing operations. There, the rescuers prayed. They sang hymns such as the Immaculate Mary. They recited the St. Michael the Archangel prayer. At the trial, which uh, began last month in August, a nun praying the rosary in the gallery, joined by a priest reading Bible verses, were reportedly reprimanded for making the sign of the cross in the direction of the witness stand. You see, the criminal justice system has no room for Christians. They have no room for people who believe in the sanctity of life. Other observers had been ordered on day one of witness testimony to not pray visibly, because doing so could be perceived as threatening acts of intimidation. Now, if you're wondering exactly how far we have fallen, not only have we removed God from schools, and quite frankly, largely from the public square, now you can't even pray to God. Now you can't even let it be known that you're praying to God without it being perceived as a threatening act of intimidation. The pro-lifers each received, uh, I'm sorry, each face up to 11 years behind bars. Three years of supervised release and fines of up to $350,000. A feminist Clinton appointee was the judge, Judge Colleen Collar-Cotelli, presided over the case whose pretrial rulings recurrently aligned with the whims of the pro-abortion apparatchiks, uh, uh, according to the co-defendants, to be immediately incarcerated. I'm sorry, they ordered the co-defendants, or she ordered the co-defendants to be immediately incarcerated upon the DOJ's request for detainment, claiming the pro-life rescuers committed a crime of violence under federal law, and therefore they are too dangerous to be left out on bail while they await their sentences. Following the guilty verdict's reading, an army of U.S. Marshals swiftly herded these dangerous, intimidating, potentially violent prayer warriors out of the courtroom. In closing statements... Hinshaw's attorney pleaded that the only individuals to turn toward violent behavior were the clinic's staff members, one of whom brandished a broomstick and used it to jab at the rescuers. Aside from the sit-in, some of the activists kneeled and, 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 and prayed, as violent as that is. Some even, gasp, passed out pro-life literature, and some counseled abortion-seeking women. Attorneys 
have vowed to pursue appeals. Uh, sentencing is scheduled for a later date. But you understand the point here. The two-tiered system of justice defends the wicked, penalizes and punishes the righteous. And it happens like this all the time. This is just one of the more egregious examples. Let me now give you another one. This one is a little bit different because it doesn't involve a prayer warrior. It involves somebody who is is, uh, an organizer with and is um, one of the faces of a group that is very, very controversial. Some call them a racist white nationalist group. It would be a tough sell considering that the leader Enrique Tario, Enrique Tario is a, is a Latino, but they're calling it a white nationalist group, the Proud Boys. Um, and Enrique Tario was just sentenced to 22 years in prison for the riot that happened at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. The problem with this is that Enrique Tario was never there. He was never at the Capitol. And yet he was sentenced to 22 years in prison for what they called orchestrating a failed plot to keep Donald Trump in power after the 2020 election. This is the stiffest punishment that has been handed down yet by any of the judges in this uh, U.S. Capitol riot. That is not an insurrection. It was never an insurrection. It was never an attempt to stop the transfer of power. It was supposed to be a protest telling them to ask for the 10-day audit. We all know the drill by now. It did get out of hand, and a riot did take place. And yet somebody who did not riot, somebody who was not there, ended up getting the longest sentence of anybody who has been charged and sentenced in that uh, that riot. And he was never one of the rioters. There's one U.S. presidential candidate who has been gutsy enough and courageous enough to speak out against that sentence and against that travesty of justice, quite frankly, because it's politicized justice in almost the same way that the political persecution of Donald Trump has morphed into criminal prosecution. Same way. Well, almost the same way, very close. And one U.S. presidential candidate has condemned that sentence, that conviction and that sentence of Enrique Tario. You want to know who it was? I'll tell you after this time out. It's 924, Always Right Radio on AM. Okay, 927. Let me give you the rest of the story about the two-tiered system of justice. Rioters in all of those things that I described in the first segment uh, when I was t- comparing it to the uh, uh, the abortion protesters, uh, but rioters in the BLM and the uh, Antifa riots and so forth all got off scot-free. In fact, many of them were given huge cash rewards for doing what they did because the police actually cracked down on some of them. They never got charged. They never got convicted. They never gotten 20-year sentences, but they got arrested, and so therefore they, they suffered great grievous harm. Not so much for those at the Capitol. Um, Enrique Tario, the leader of the Proud Boys, which is described as a white nationalist group who is, of course, not a white man, was sentenced to 22 years in in prison, despite not even being in D.C. on January 6th. Joe Biggs, another Proud Boy, sentenced to 17 years for, according to the charges, shaking a Capitol fence on January 6th. 
The Proud Boys convicted of conspiracy were convicted convicted of conspiracy despite the court admitting that they had no plan to storm the Capitol. There was no plan. How can you have conspiracy without evidence of a plan? And the court said they know they don't have evidence of a plan. Four known suicides thus far of peaceful January 6th defendants uh, after the feds targeted and threatened them with jail time. And Americans' homes are still being raided in 2023 for uh, people who peacefully walked around the Capitol on January 6, 2021. The Proud Boys were convicted, and there is coverage of this, evidence of this in the New York Times. In the New York Times, there is evidence that the rulings that is reported on, the rulings permitted jurors to convict, that's what the judge told them they could do, on conspiracy charges, even if they found there was no plan to disrupt the certification of the election. If there's no plan to disrupt it, how can they call it a conspiracy to uh, decertify the election? Also, in a series of searches before the trial began, investigators collected more than a half a million text messages from the Ministry of Self-Defense and other Proud Boy group chats. And while some of the messages were overtly violent and hit it at action at the Capitol, None of them set forth a plan to storm the building or to forcibly disrupt the election certification taking place inside. They found no plan whatsoever. There were no explicit orders given. It was a protest that turned violent and turned into a riot. And yet all these people were convicted of conspiracy to obstruct the certification of the transfer of the of the election and the transfer of power. There is not a justice system in America. There are two systems of justice in America. One for the radical, wild left, and one for everybody else. That's the reality. It's 930. We'll get news now. We'll talk to Jim Jordan after. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Endless sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. Yeah, I, uh, it just dawned on me, 9.35, by the way, good morning. It just dawned on me that I uh, did not keep my promise when I came back into the last segment. I said there's only one presidential candidate is that, that was actually condemning the uh, the extraordinary miscarriage of justice vis-a-vis the January 6th defendants and uh, Enrique Tario, and that was Vivek Ramas- Ramaswamy. Vivek Ramaswamy went on Twitter and said, this is wrong, and it is sad that I am the only presidential candidate willing to say so. And I agree. I want anybody and everybody that committed violence or uh, serious crimes on January 6th to be held accountable to the tune of the law, by the way, to the letter of the law, not more or less than anybody else would get. And um, 22 years for somebody who was not even in Washington, D.C. that day is wrong. I agree with Vivek Ramaswamy. Nobody else has said that. All right. Now, having said that, let's uh, welcome Congressman Jim Jordan back to our program. Congressman Jordan is the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, as well as the Weaponization Subcommittee. And he's on the Oversight Committee, which has been very, very busy in recent days trying to investigate the first family of crime. Congressman, good morning. Morning, Bob. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. I caught you and uh, um, Chairman uh, Comer, Oversight Chairman Comer, with uh, Hannity, and uh, I want to dig mm-hmm. a little deeper into some of the stuff you talked sure. about there. But for those who didn't hear uh, you yesterday, explain what is happening now in the DOJ with this evidence of, of the DOJ and uh, and a federal attorney obstructing uh, virtually every element of the investigation into this uh, this Biden uh, alleged Biden family corruption. What can you tell us? 
Well, it, it, you know, I, I think Sean said this the other night. I, yeah. I said it as well. Maybe uh, the fix is in, and anyone with a brain can see that. You know, you saw four and a half years of this investigation, the sweetheart deal they tried to uh, go take through. Uh, the court was having none of that declined to accept the plea agreement. We learned later that, that this was actually, there was a sweeter deal, in fact, in play before that, that, that where they were going to require Hunter Biden not, not to plead, or ask, allow Hunter Biden not to plead guilty to anything. And then you have this issue with, with, with the lawyer. What we're trying to do, and I said this the other night, is, we, we, in fact, we're, we're, we have a deposition today with one of these agents, but um, we're trying to talk to the FBI agents who are part of the case. Uh, Chairman uh, Smith is looking to talk to IRS agents who were part of the Hunter Biden investigation. And then, of course, Chairman Comer just subpoenaed folks at DHS and the Secret Service about how they were tipped off when they wanted to go interview in the course of their investigation a few years ago, when they wanted to go interview Hunter Biden, how he was tipped off during the transition time period from one administration to the next. So um, we're just we're just coming at it from all three sides, trying to get the facts for the American people, as I think we are likely now, it seems, to to move into an impeachment inquiry phase, as Speaker McCarthy has talked about on, on numerous occasions. Yeah, and I'll come back to the impeachment inquiry part of that in a moment. But first, tell me the, the other part of this story with David Weiss, who is now the special uh, prosecutor, um, and the announcement that there there will be an arrest, or excuse me, an indictment of Hunter Biden by the indictment. end of the month. What does that mean? I think it's, I think it's the indictment they had to let the, the, the Delaware judge know about. Uh, and the one, the one thing they can do there, there is the gun crime. So I don't think that surprised anyone. We'll see what happens with that. But I think this is, is, is you know, still just kind of consistent with what they've been doing. This is, okay, well, we're gonna, we're gonna, we are going to have some kind of indictment on the gun charge. Fine. Uh, they're going to do that. I, I don't think anyone's surprised by that. But the, the real issues are the tax issues and, and the business issues. Uh, we'll see what happens there. So this is, I think, just notifying the judge that there will be, in fact, some indictment relative to the gun charge that was that was initially part of that that uh, that plea plea agreement that the judge declined to accept a few a uh, few weeks back. So, do you think this opens the door, though, to to adding more crimes, adding more uh, charges to that indictment, to an indictment? I don't know whether it does or doesn't. I I, I think that's a separate question because it, it looks like those will have to be brought somewhere else. Uh, you, you know, and I think. Again, that was the whole issue with the special counsel, uh, the, whether you're a special counsel or not, is did, did he have the authority to bring charges when, where, and whether, as he said in that letter to me, uh, he had full ability to determine when, where, and whether to bring charges. Well, was that really the case, or is that why he needs special counsel? Um, so I don't know if, the, if there would be additional charges in California or in D.C., uh, who knows. But I do think this is likely uh, focused on the gun charge, the one in Delaware that they that was in the press yesterday. Okay, is there any? I, I'd like you to if, connect dots if you can between you know the gun mm-hmm. charge and the Hunter Biden tax charges and everything else, and, and potentially using any of that to find out more about the alleged bribery and the amount of money that uh, that the, the you know uh, father and son both received from Burisma that we heard Victor Shokin, of course, confirming all of this about a week and a half ago. Um, well, are any of these things connected? Can anything be used here in the investigation and the indictment and the charges against Hunter Biden to get more information well, uh, about about what Joe was involved in? Well, we're certainly going to look at all that because I mean that that's we think it's all connected because it's all part of the Biden business operation. You have the email that says, you know, I, I, I got I give I have to give 50 percent to pops. Uh, you got the other email, the 10 percent for the big. You got all those 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 factors there. So, yeah, we think this is all connected, not to mention the dinners, the phone calls, the meetings that Joe Biden was a part of with Hunter Biden's business associates. 
and, and some of their, their clients, some of the people they're doing business with. Um, so we, yeah, we're going to continue looking at all that. And of course, the tax in, information has uh, a relevance there because this was all part of that, that business operation, a so-called business operation. So yeah, we will be, we will continue to look at all that. Uh, as, as we've talked about before, the oversight committee is primarily focused on on those business transactions, the SARS reports and everything else. We're looking at, at David Weiss and how that investigation was handled. And we think that's critically important because, you know, the same guy who allowed the Secret Service to, to – who notified the Secret Service that they wanted to talk to Hunter Biden, the same one who tipped him off, the defense counsel that they wanted to search the, the, the utility uh, storage area, uh, is, is the same guy – who, who uh, put together the sweetheart deal. That's the guy, when it all falls apart, that Merrick Garland, uh, Merrick Garland selects to be the special counsel. Like, what? Like, no one can figure that one out either. So uh, that's where we're going to be focused. And, and that actually, it, it, we got to, as I said here, in a, in a few minutes we start a deposition with uh, our transcribed interview with one of, the, uh, one of the agents who was involved in that, uh, some of those interviews and that investigation. Briefly back to the impeachment inquiry. Um, most of the headlines that I'm seeing today say that Senate Republicans are not down with this. They're not supportive of the idea of an impeachment inquiry on the House side. Um, are you getting any word with that? Is there, is there any kind of, of unity among Republicans on Capitol Hill to hold Joe Biden accountable? Well, I mean, I guess to be real frank, it doesn't really matter what the senators think. We, we, we have to be driven by the facts, by the truth, by the evidence, and mostly by the Constitution. And if, and if we feel that there were high crimes, misdemeanor, and this warrants impeachment, that is a total question for the House. That's the way our founders put together the Constitution. So it doesn't matter what the senators think the House should do. We, we have to do our duty. And if the facts compel us to go there, we're going to go there. The Speaker's been clear about that. I've been clear about that. That's that's how we should proceed, because that's the oath we took when we were sworn in back in January when we started this Congress. So that's what we got to focus on. Then if we go through that impeachment inquiry phase and there are actual articles of impeachment that get introduced and then there's a hearings and, and debate on that and a vote and it passes, then the Senate comes into play because they're the jury and they will look at the evidence that's presented to them. That's how our system works. So at this point, for senators to say, you know, the House shouldn't do this, that's not their question. That's our question. But it should be driven by the facts, and with the, uh, contrary with the Democrats. The, uh, but the I optics Bob- of it, the optics of it, Congressman, are, are what I'm talking about here. I mean, because it would it would seem to be almost then they're saying, "Don't waste our time. Don't go there and do this, and then bring it to us for a trial because well, we're not we're you know we don't even want it to happen. So we're certainly not going to be likely to vote to convict." You know, and and fair enough, but again, that's not the fundamental question. The fundamental <laughs> question is, what is the Constitution? What is the oath we took? What do the facts compel you to do? And if they compel us to move into impeachment inquiry phase of our oversight work, we will do that. And then if it requires us to go to the next step, we will do that. But that's driven by the facts. And um, so we don't know all the facts yet because, I mean, if, frankly, this is why Mr. Comer did the subpoenas for documents and for depositions of certain individuals because Homeland Security and, so, and, and the Secret Service weren't giving him the information. And, the, and there was, there's correspondence from the Secret Service Division of Homeland Security saying, yeah, we'll get you this information. And then for some reason they were stopped. We think it's likely that Mayorkas told him, no, 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 don't give that information to Congress. This is all the more reason why we may need to proceed to impeachment inquiry, because it gives us a better opportunity to get that information, to get the facts for the country. I'm glad you mentioned Mayorkas, the uh, Homeland Security uh, uh, Secretary, because I want to pivot to immigration for a moment. For, for a moment. First of all, in July, 177,000 new crossings. We don't know have August's numbers yet, but we have July's. And I want to ask you about what Bernie Moreno found out. 
Bernie Moreno, Senate candidate here in Ohio, of course, uh, did a video that got went viral, millions of views. Um, found out that all 1,025 rooms in the historic Roosevelt Hotel in New York City are being used to house illegal alien families to the tune of $6,000 per family per month. That's before food, medical care, educational care, and so on and so forth. Roughly $75 million a year to house them in this luxury hotel. And Congressman Jordan, uh, what Bernie Moreno found out is that the owners of that hotel um, are Pakistani, and they literally are tied to the Pakistani government. So 75 million American tax dollars are housing illegal aliens in New York City, and then the profits are going to a, to a government that is not necessarily friendly to the United The government no, that, helped, that helped house Osama bin Laden for 10 years. Just, uh, yeah, it's wrong. Everyone knows it's wrong and instinctively knows that. It's ridiculous what's going on. Uh, it's just a further reflection of just how wrong this administration has been on every single policy um, and how bad Mayorkas is. I, I mean, we actually, I think we've talked about this, Bob, but uh, just to reiterate, we actually wrote Mayorkas before the hearing six weeks ago that he came in front of the, our, our Judiciary Committee, and we wrote him and said, be prepared to answer these questions. One of the specific questions we were asking is, there have been 2.2 million that we know that have been encountered on the border, asylum seekers who've come into the country and been released. Of that 2.2 million, now because we're, we're almost getting to three years into this administration, of that 2.2 million who've, who've been encountered on the border and released, what number have went through the adjudication process and been removed? Because we know most people who claim asylum aren't legitimate asylum seekers. Of course. So what, what, what number have been So we said, be prepared to answer that question. He comes to the hearing. We ask him that question. Congressman Gates, myself, I asked him twice. In fact, the second round, I said, is the number greater than zero who've been adjudicated and removed? Yes. Is it greater than 10? Yes. Is it greater than 100? Yes. Is it greater than 1,000? I'll have to get back. He, was, he couldn't answer. I said, well, we've established it's somewhere between 100 and 1,000, which is um, unbelievable with 2.2. It's probably a bigger number, but, but yeah. it's still super small number. And then we've, wrote him, we, we, we've, we've written to him after the hearing, and he still hasn't answered the question. So this is why Chairman Comer subpoenaed him on this other issue, because this is just par for the course with Mayorkas and, frankly, this entire administration. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and I guess, you know, again, given the fact that you are Congress and you guys hold the purse strings, I think Eric Adams, and I'm going back now specifically to that situation in New York City, he's complaining all the time, we're bursting at the seams, yeah. we can't take any more, stop sending them here, blah, blah, blah. But And he's also saying we don't have the funds for this. He is fully expecting to have all of those funds returned. This is going to come out of the Treasury. Is there anything that you yeah. and Congress can do to stop that? Because, uh, like I said, I mean, they're, they're, instead of making them wait in Mexico, which they did under President Trump, they're waiting in the Roosevelt hotel now at yeah. $6,000 a month per family. I mean, yeah. this is extraordinary, yeah. and they're counting on you guys providing the funds to make that, uh, you know, to make that right yeah. for them. Is that going to happen? Counting on counting on the American taxpayers, the, the yeah. taxpayers in the 4th District of Ohio to bail out the folks in, 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 in you know, the, the folks in New York City. Uh, we are, yeah, we are definitely looking at, in the appropriations process, ways we can, we can limit where the money goes, how the money is spent, and overall just limit the amount. Um, so those are all discussions that are, as you know, unfolding over the next few weeks as we move into the in, to the end of the fiscal year. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. Last thing, Congressman Jordan, I want to ask you about is uh, COVID tyranny is underway again. Masking is starting to be required in schools. Uh, shots are being pushed. As a matter of fact, Dr. Gupta on MSNBC two days ago said the shots should be ready by the end of the month, and every American six months of age and up should oh, get Lord. the new shots. Um, yeah. w- w- what you again? Bob? You get, are you, get, are you, are you kidding, kidding me? Job, Bob? 
if if I if I died tomorrow, if I died tomorrow, I would raise my cold dead arm and pull it away from that shot. I mean, no, not a chance. But but you understand my question. They're starting to do yeah. this. They're starting to put school kids behind masks again already. What? J.D. Vance, Senator Vance, um, uh, is uh, proposing some legislation, yeah. a federal ban on mask mandates. Um, where, where do things stand in the Congress as far as that goes? Well, I think the, I think Republicans in the House and and, uh, and, and obviously <laughs> Senator Vance, uh, God bless him. Uh, we're we're going to oppose this, this. This. I mean, so we're supposed to believe the people who lied to us for two years? I mean. <laughs> You know, like, uh, the, you know, 15, what, what was the old joke? The, the, the hardest part of uh, 15 uh, days of slow to spread is always the first two years, right? It's like, so, yeah. so they said 15 days of slow to spread. Uh, they, they told us that the vaccinated couldn't get it. They couldn't transmit it. It didn't come from a lab. It wasn't gain of function. I mean, everything they told us turned out to be false. So now we're supposed to believe them? Like, no. I, I, Americans have common sense. Americans value freedom. And I think Americans are going to say, forget this noise. And they agree with Senator Vance, and they agree with you, and they agree with me. They're just like, no, we're not going to do it. And if you want to do it, God bless you, go, you can do it, but don't mandate it from government, for goodness sake. Is there someone who might be able to introduce a companion bill on the House side to support I, what Senator Vance I, is doing? I would, I would imagine there'll be, be similar type of legislation um, that, that comes on, on the House side. I know the Speaker, there's no way he's going to you know, do to the House, and you think about how this institution operates, what Nancy Pelosi did. She kept, she, I mean, think about it. She kept the American people out of their capital that they pay for, preventing them from going to petition their member of Congress in the very building that, that's their building, their capital that, that they supported with their tax dollars. There's no way Speaker McCarthy's going to go there. Um, you're going to see, I think, a real pushback to this, not, not just from elected officials, but I think from the American people. Well, there's no doubt the American people are going to push back against it. The problem is a lot of them don't know any better, and they nod along with a doctor like Gupta saying, yes, put this jab, put this jab in the arm of your six-month-old child, for crying out loud, <laughs> six months of age or older. Yeah, and, and, they're, and they're counting on people willingly going along like lemmings, and, uh, and I'm just hopeful that there's something that can be done at the congressional level. Knowing how much damage was done to the people, to the schools, to the students, to society, quite frankly, with two and a half years of COVID yep. uh, uh, protocols, uh, that we stop that in its tracks before this starts up again. So um, it's a great yeah. start by Senator Vance, and hopefully somebody in Congress is, in the House side is working on it as well. Well, I saw Dr. Ke- uh, Marty McCary say that you, you know th- there's all kinds of good studies that show that these things don't work anyway. So oh, exactly, that all of them. The but there's also the effectiveness, for good sake. Yeah, yeah. There's the tyranny, the, the tyranny portion of it, and then you're exactly right. The effectiveness of it. There is no justifiable reason because all of the studies that have been done on a community level, not individual, one person next to one person in a lab with uh, masks, you know, super glued to their faces, so there's no gaps. Um, that's different <laughs> uh, because that's what Fauci yeah. tried to say. But when it comes to yeah. community use, which of course nobody wears them like that, and, and those are not the circumstances, then you take them off where any, whenever you're in public to eat anyway. It just does not work. They've made that very very yeah, clear and yet here we are and that's why we think it's not a matter of trying to keep us healthy it's a matter to, uh, it's a matter of keeping us under their control yep that's, yep. uh, that's, that, that's how it feels to the rest of us congressman jordan thank you for the time i appreciate your good you work bet. we'll talk to you soon you bet, thank Bob. You. take care brother you got it all right there's jim jordan it's 9 52 we'll take a time out here <clears throat> We covered that in some depth yesterday too, I think, and and also on uh, on on Tuesday. 
um, when we came back in after the Labor Day break. Fauci is trying to say that there are studies that have shown that the masks can indeed cut down on viral spread of a respiratory, uh, uh, you know, airborne virus. And his, he is talking specifically in controlled lab situations, not in the general public where those conditions do not exist. I got more for you coming up on Always Right Radio. Okay, 956. I want to go back to the two-tiered system of justice that I was discussing before Congressman Jordan came on and talk about Enrique Tarrio. I want it to be very clear. Um, I am not 1,000% sure of every member of the Proud Boys. I am not 1,000% clear uh, as to every member of the Oath Keepers and who they are and what they stand for. I can tell you that I would in, never, in no way ever support any group that would be considered white nationalist, meaning racist. Uh, I would never support any such thing. My understanding of these organizations is that is not who they are. While it may not speak for every individual member, I don't know. There might be some members who have different feelings and thus sully or taint the name of the entire groups or organizations. So I can't speak to all of them. What I can say, though, is, first of all, a group whose leader is an Hispanic man named Enrique Tarrio that is very, very unlikely to be a white nationalist organization. The Proud Boys have a reputation that may or may not be deserved, may or may not be earned. But what I do know is that on the day of January 6, 2021, a day in which Enrique Tarrio was not present in Washington, D.C. to commit any riotous acts, to commit any insurrections, to commit any kind of, you know, violent uh, or, 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 or vandalistic or, or any, any other kinds of actions, when he is not there for him to be sentenced to 22 years in prison is just a gross miscarriage of justice. That's why Vivek Ramaswamy felt compelled to say this is wrong now Vivek is also not a white man he's not a white male he is of Indian descent he would be classified in the you know in the colloquial vernacular which we use as a black and brown person he's not he wouldn't be have any fealty to white supremacist organizations or white nationalist groups he's just looking at this from the standpoint of the law and this is wrong this is an attempt to not just punish those who were at uh, the January 6th riot, and it did become a riot. It's an attempt to intimidate anybody else from even thinking about going near large groups of conservatives to make your voices heard, peaceful and peacefully and patriotically, as Donald Trump said on that day. There was no conspiracy according to what was said in court. No conspiracy to storm the Capitol or commit any insurrection. And yet he was convicted of conspiracy because he was never there. Justice is dead in America in many, many ways. We'll take a break now. Good news at the top of the hour. Talk to Dr. Everett. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth. Or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. 
This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Hour number two now underway. It's eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us. If you want to have a say on any of the things we discussed in hour number one, I'm going to have to ask you to be patient because we have uh, we are just loaded up today with tremendous guests uh, talking about some very important information, uh, none of which is more important than the education of our children, the education of this population, which is in very, very serious decline. We often talk about, and uh, Peter Kirsten, I was often quoting uh, some of the statistics about where we stand against the rest of the world when it comes to math, when it comes to reading, when it comes to uh, all of the other things that are so important. And um, the question is, is why is America failing its kids? That's one of the questions we're going to talk about now with our regular Thursday commentator, General Dr. Everett Piper. I like to call him a general in our culture wars. He is is a very, very strong leader in that regard. He is also a best-selling author. He is a columnist with the Washington Times. He is a podcast radio host, and he is uh, also a former university president. Dr. Piper, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me on again. So when are, since when are you uh, uh, finding yourself in league with, uh, with noted liberal Democrats like Richard Dreyfus? <laughs> you know... Uh, the phrase "hell has frozen over" comes to mind there, doesn't it? When you <laughs> when you uh, seriously, you, you, you see Bill Maher um, saying things that you and I agree with. You see Richard Dreyfus calling uh, public education to task for abandoning the American cause and not teaching civics properly in our public schools anymore. We've been saying this all along, and those people on the left that still have the ability to think are actually coming to their senses in some in some degree. Now, that's not that they're all the way home, but at least you can have a civil conversation with them about things like our constitution and our bill of rights. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh it's it's really interesting cuz Richard Dreyfus was again a noted liberal. He has uh, made some some pretty outspoken comments through the years, but um after I read your column yesterday, Dr. Piper, I I did a little quick check and Richard Dreyfus has uh not been a a Democrat for almost two decades now. I did not realize that. There's there are articles from 2016 after which he attended a um uh uh uh, a Ted Cruz uh, event in Iowa in 2016 during that primary season. And uh, people say, oh, my gosh, why is Richard Dreyfuss at a Ted Cruz rally? And he said, just so you know, I haven't been a de- uh, Democrat in more than a decade. That was then. So it's almost two decades since he kind of gave up the Democrat Party while he still may have liberal uh, points of view. And in this particular case, uh, he has correct points of view when he talks about the uh, death of education in America. Tell us more. All right. Um, he was on uh, PBS, the firing line with Margaret Hoover. And this was, I believe, a week, week and a half ago. He was a guest because he has a new book out. And the book deals with education. And one of his quotes on that show is very striking. And I'm going to read the quote right now. Okay. This is Richard Dreyfus. He said, we could flip. We could let flip. Excuse me. Let me start over. We could let flip the greatest idea for governance, governance ever devised, and we won't even know that it happened. Our Democrat republic is failing, and it shouldn't be a surprise. We can't fly a plane without training, and we can't practice medicine without attending medical school. And yet we expect the American people to wield the full power of their citizenship without an education. Amen. Amen. And then he goes on, and he says this. We no longer teach our children the Bill of Rights or the Constitution. We don't teach them critical thinking skills. We've stopped teaching civics, and now we can't have a civil political discussion. The American 
experiment may fail if we don't act. Close quote, Richard Dreyfus. I, and as you know, I wrote my article about this, and I basically said, spot on, absolutely, amen, thanks for saying it. Our public schools, Bob, are no longer a place where our children are taught how to read or write, nor is it even important for them to understand mathematics much anymore. We deny science by teaching them biology doesn't matter. We elevate social justice above, above biblical justice and the real march for justice that's grounded in a biblical worldview, a Judeo-Christian ethic, and that is out of that worldview that we get the definition of justice that matters. We abandon that worldview, and then we expect our kids to behave civilly and morally in the public square, be responsible citizens. It's like C.S. Lewis said in, uh, um, let's see, where did he say it? Mere Christianity, I believe, when he said, it's as if we've gelded the stallion and then bid him be fruitful. We remove the organ. He said we've created men without chests. We have taken the heart and soul out of the chest of the individual, and now they have this empty cavity that gives them nothing to function upon. They can't think clearly because they have no brain. They have no moral core because we've gelded the stallion and we bid him be fruitful. We've removed the organ and we demand the function. You know, this is the nature of the academy, and Dreyfus is spot on. He's calling our attention to the fact that if we teach a generation of nihilists, then we're going to have a government run by those same nihilists when they reach the age of 30, 35, and run for office. And we're seeing it in the public square right now. Over 80% of your high school teachers are Democrat right now. Now, if you're a Democrat and you actually hold the core values because you've got a soul that's one thing. But if you're a Democrat because you don't believe that there's anything of value any longer to be taught other than the narcissism and the self-absorption and the personal infatuation of this therapeutic deism that's taught in our schools right now, we're in deep trouble because the Constitution doesn't matter anymore. Our culture, our country will be lost. Thank you for some of these people like Dreyfus for pointing this out. Yeah, yeah, I, I concur. I'm I'm interested in a couple of things in the uh, very first part that you quoted. Um, we expect the American people to wield the full power of their citizenship without an education. How would you define our citizenship? How would I define our citizenship? Yeah, yeah. Like, what, what, what are the responsibilities that we have as citizenships? As he words it, you, we expect the American people to wield the full power of citizenship, their citizenship, without an education. Uh, what, what does that mean to us? Well, for me, hmm, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question and then clarify it is I think of the fact that if you want to be a naturalized citizen, then you have to take a test. And the test is on what? Our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, what it means to be defined as an American, and what your responsibilities are if you're going to go to the voting booth and if you're going to engage in civic responsibility and culture. In other words, you have to be an American, and you have to understand the definition of what an American is. If you want to be a naturalized citizen, if you're moving here from a different country, and you want to be an American citizen, then there's a definition that goes with that, and you have to understand what our constitutional republic is all about and why it's different than another nation and is exceptional as the result of it. So that's part of the answer. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and I guess what I mean more broadly is 
does being a citizen just mean, hey, I'm a citizen? First of all, if I was born here, I don't have to take a test. I just get it. We're, you know, it's the it's American privilege, if you will. But I wonder, what does citizenship mean? What are our requirements? Do, does it just mean we exist here? We exist. We can sponge on whatever you know, government largesse there may be. We can, uh, you know, we can take advantage of opportunities if we want to, but we don't have to. I guess I'm just trying to figure out what is the full power of citizenship. I, I, I feel like it means more than just existing here. Don't we have a responsibility to contribute? To the, yeah. this, the you know to to, to that that nation which calls us their citizens, and I think I think that's what Dreyfus is getting at. You know, I think of the the parallel for a Christian in the church. You know, I've heard it said over and over um, when you come to defining your Christianity that just because you're born in the garage doesn't make you a car. In other words, if you're born in the pew, if you're born in the church. That doesn't make you a Christian. There's something that you do. There's something you embrace. There's a decision that you make to start giving. Well, you confess your sins, you repent, and you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, and then you start living your life accordingly in obedience unto the Lord. You're not a Christian just because you're born in the church, and you're not a car just because you were born in the garage. And likewise, technically, I guess you are an American citizen if you're born here, but does that make you a citizen just because you're born in America? If you despise America, if you embrace critical theory, if everything that you know of America is bad and you're trying to tear it down rather than build it up and defend it, are you a citizen? I think that's your question. Yes. Um, and, we, and I think that's Dreyfus's point, too. Yeah. I think that's that. That's very well said. That's kind of what I was getting at. Um, it takes more than just being here to be a citizen. And if you do have power as a citizen, yes, certainly it should be something uh, that 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 goes hand in hand with education. However, going to one of the other things in the opening quote, um, we've stopped teaching civics, and now we don't. We can't even have civil political discussion. I question whether or not education is, um, uh, you know. Uh, if an education brings civil political discussion, because some of the most vile, uncivil political discussions that have I, I have ever heard have come from the most educated among us, the elites, the Ivy League educated, and those who think they are so much smarter than the rest of us, they have no respect whatsoever for other points of view. They are the ones, I think, who are the, the least civil of all when it comes to political, political discussion and discourse in America today. Uh, and I and I kind of touch on that in the tail end of my article, where I talk about bad ideas are going to breed bad behavior. Yes, good ideas are going to lead to good behavior. So if your education is bad, which I would argue our public schools are rife with bad ideas right now, of course you're going to get people behaving badly. M. Scott Peck called it the diabolical human mind, the people of the lie. I've had others that I've read call it uh, the pathology of the intellect, the sickness of the mind. Just because you have a degree does not make you a civil, responsible, moral human being. In fact, go to Germany. Germany was the most educated of all cultures, if you could argue, pre-World War II, and it still led to Hitler and the and Nazi socialism, the Third Reich. Education, if it's bad ideas, does not lead to good culture, good country, good community, or good church. Bad education is going to lead to the opposite. And when you keep when you keep sending all of our kids off to these schools that are going to teach them to hate America rather than love America, the Constitution needs to be deconstructed. We need to get rid of it. Uh, the Bill of Rights, well, that was crafted by a bunch of uh, 
white Europeans that own slaves. When that's all they know about America and they think that America is bad, you're going to get bad engagement in the, in the public square. And that's what Dreyfus is pointing out. 100% correct all the way around. You and Mr. Dreyfus. We'll take a time out here, Dr. Piper. We want to come back and talk about those coexist bumper stickers we have all seen and many of us have rolled our eyes at because that's the question asked of Ask Dr. E in the Washington Times. We'll ask you to respond to that coming up on Always Ray Radio. Okay, 1024, I've got time for one more question for Dr. Everett Piper. His uh, second column each week is an advice column uh, called Ask Dr. E. And Dr. E, I recently got into a debate with a neighbor about the Coexist bumper sticker. He said that the Coexist moniker is simply about respecting people of all faiths and allowing everyone to have a seat at the table. He went on to argue that Christians, who believe in the inherent superiority of our faith, discredit the voices and opinions of everyone else. Can you help me respond? Asks faithful friend in Florida. We've all seen those bumper stickers. I think they're annoying as all get out. But, Dr. Piper, how do you answer the faithful friend in Florida? Well, this is one of my pet peeves. Every time I drive by a car that has the coexist or coexistence bumper sticker, I want to roll down the window and say contradiction, not coexistence. <laughs> uh, and 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 here's why I say that. Yeah, okay. I'm trying to be gentle, and I don't want to be a jerk when people uh, want to have these types of debates. But this person, this neighbor of my friend from Florida, is just wrong. The coexist bumper sticker is about syncretism. Now, what is syncretism? It's the claim that all worldviews are equal, that all faiths are the same, all religions are the same. We're all in sync, syncretism. And we're in sync, if you will, marching together up to the summit. We may be taking different paths to the summit, but we're all going to end up at the same place because there's no superiority of one religion or one faith over and above another. That's syncretism, and that's what the coexist bumper sticker is is claiming. And here's my point. That's theological mush, and it ignores the basic claims, the claims of knowledge and the claims of reality, epistemological and ontological facts, knowledge and reality of these religious claims. And if you, the proof to my point Find a good Muslim in your neighborhood or in your community, somebody that you can have a good conversation with, and ask them if they think Islam is the same as Christianity. They'll say no, and they're offended by anybody that suggests otherwise. Likewise, a good Orthodox Jew is going to differ very much so with your view of Jesus Christ, Bob, and mine. So you can't claim that all of these religions say the same thing. They are contradictory in some very important facts, like your salvation and your eternal destiny. There's a difference here between Buddhism and Hinduism and Judaism and Islam and Christianity. And you can't even acknowledge basic Socratic logic, freshman logic 101, the law of non-contradiction proves the point here. When you get down to conflicting claims, one claim may be true and the other's false, or all of the claims might be false, but you can't pretend in, within the law of non-contradiction that all of the disputing claims, the contradictory claims, are all true. 
that makes no sense. So we need to boldly step into the town square, if you will, and gently, I suppose, but confidently say, no, all religions aren't the same. They can't be because they contradict one another. Uh, Does that make sense? It does. Um, What I would ask in follow-up is, would it be better for everyone to just wear their their own personal religion or religious symbol on the back of their car. In other words, somebody who is a Muslim just have, you know, the the crescent and star. And if somebody is a Buddhist and so forth, if everybody just had their own and saying, this is who I am, this is what I believe, would that be better? Because they're just simply identifying themselves by their faith and not saying that all of our faiths are the same. Well, as a Christian, I'm going to identify myself as a Christian. I'm not going to identify myself as being equal to or the same as Islam. Because I'm not. It insults Muslims to say that, and it insults Christ. Christ is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That's a pretty exclusive claim. It's all exclusive, quite frankly. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that you can't have a place at the table within a free country. That wasn't his point. But what he was saying is if you want a table, excuse me, if you want a place at my table in eternity, there's one way, and it's me. So claiming that we're all just part of the same kumbaya group hug moment, and we all have a place at the table, yes, within a democratic republic, there's freedom of religion, sure. But that's not what the coexist thing is suggesting. It's suggesting that there is syncretism in terms of religious faith, and Christians need to stop acting like our faith is right and others are wrong. Well, I'm sorry, there are exclusive claims that go all the way back to Jesus so you're really not arguing with me, and you're not arguing with you. You're arguing with Christ if you want to have a great big kumbaya group hug rather than stand for the orthodoxy of your faith. Yeah, and that's exactly what you emphasize in the uh, in the response. It's a terrific piece. I'll encourage everybody to read this response as well as all of Dr. Piper's great work at the Washington Times. You can follow Dr. Piper on Twitter at Dr. That's D-R Everett Piper, just like you think that would be spelled. Dr. Piper, great responses all the way around. As always, thank you so much for the time, and we will talk to you next week. All right. Take care. Blessings. All right, it's 10.30. We'll take a time out now. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk to Dr. Peter McCullough. As the COVID tyranny starts to ramp up for round two, Dr. McCullough is pushing for medical freedom. We'll talk to him next, AM 1420, The Answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on The Answer. 1033, good morning to you once again. Last week... We had an in-depth conversation with Dr. Robert Malone, the co-patent holder on the RNA technology that has been used to uh, supposedly battle COVID-19, but uh, in more uh, serious terms and more accurately to cause more harm uh, for people who have taken those RNA shots. Uh, as an example, the vaccines cause heart damage. It's called myocarditis. I see this routinely in my practice every day. The U.S. FDA and regulatory agencies agree the vaccines cause myocarditis. That's heart inflammation. The genetic vaccines install the code for the lethal Wuhan spike protein, and the spike protein damages the heart. 
That is not Dr. Robert Malone. That is Dr. Peter McCullough, who is one of the other true advocates for medical freedom, trying to warn everyone about the dangers of the mRNA uh, profit shots, as I like to call them. Some people call them poison darts. Whatever they are, they are not vaccines. Dr. McCullough is a cardiologist, internist, scientist, co-author with John Leake of The Courage to Face COVID-19. And Dr. McCullough joins us now to get into the second round of COVID tyranny that is staring us all right in the face. Dr. McCullough, thank you for the time. How are you, sir? Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. That that uh, little clip that I played was one of uh, a short portion of um, a testimony that you gave before in uh, Pennsylvania, before the Pennsylvania uh, State Senate. Um, can you tell me whether or not all of these appearances that you are making, are you opening the eyes and ears and the minds of the people who have uh, uh, routinely, dis, uh, you know, uh, uh, re, you know, basically stated that you and Dr. Malone and others cannot be trusted? You know, I've published more on COVID-19 than um, I think virtually any other physician scientist in the world in the peer-reviewed literature. Uh, I clearly have appeared on more media uh, outlets and more programs from ABC News to, you know, Fox and Newsmax have been a frequent contributor. Uh, I have the number one medical Substack, Courageous Discourse, number one medical podcast, America Out Loud. McCullough Report. If you search in Google, there's more hits on me than any doctor in the world. Uh, I went on Daystar four times, hit about 1.7 billion people per sets of shows. The bottom line is I've had a major impact. A recent Kaiser Family Foundation uh, survey, which is a pro-vaccine group, revealed a third of Americans think the COVID vaccines have killed tens of thousands of Americans. And indeed they have. So that's a third of the country. That's death. You can't get that back. So that, believe me, people know in, in, in my work and the work of others who are actively publishing and taking care of patients have made a big impact. Yeah, of that I have no doubt. Um, and and it's just it's mind-blowing to me that people continue to try to discredit you and some of the other doctors like Dr. Malone and some of the frontline doctors that are trying to bring truth to this. I, I don't understand what possible motivation they could ascribe to you for going before the Pennsylvania Senate, for going before congressional committees, from going on uh, popular podcasts and radio shows and so forth. What reason would you have to warn people away from this? And moreover, what reason do they have uh, to continue to promote these if it's not profit and power, Dr. McCullough. Yeah, my reason is, you know, I'm a doctor because I took an oath to uh, preserve life and fight disease and above all, do no harm. So I published uh, the very first protocol on how to treat COVID, keeping people out of the hospital and avoiding death. McCullough protocol became the most widely used treatment protocol in the world. Now I've published the the most widely recognized detoxification protocol, the first and only of how to get people out of problems taking these vaccines. I have over 70 peer-reviewed publications on COVID-19. So, and I'm a practicing doctor. I see and examine patients every day. So I've never been discredited by any person of my stature, no professor of medicine, no chief of uh, medicine, uh, no uh, dean. Uh, I'm one of the most published and accomplished physicians in the world. No one has attempted to discredit me. So uh, what we have is we have a biopharmaceutical complex, basically a syndicate involving uh, multiple government agencies, NGOs, and pharmaceutical companies that are railroading a vaccine agenda on the world. 
Doctor, we're talking with Dr. Peter McCullough, cardiologist, internist, and uh, and again, he is the uh, co-host of uh, Courageous Discourse with uh, with John Leake. It is a tremendous substack. Um, I want to play this clip of Dr. Gupta on MSNBC from two days ago and get you to respond to this. Real quick, if you will, who needs to get a booster and when? So all of us need boosters. Um, so at six months of age and up, uh, we're going to have boosters by the end of this month, hopefully. And those will protect, we believe, very strongly against these new versions of the virus. Six months of age and up, Dr. McCullough. Six months of age and up. Everyone needs to get this new variation of the shot that they're saying is specifically engineered to deal with the new sub-variant of COVID-19, which to me sounds like it's an entire, entirely new shot then and should have to go through the protocols again to get approval, even under emergency use authorization from the FDA. What do you say? The brand new shots are coded against XBB 1.5, a sub-variant of Omicron, that variant is now nearly extinct. It's less than 5% of strains. The current strain that we have is called ARIS or EG5. It's very mild, like a common cold, no fever, no pulmonary involvement. It's treated with nasal sprays and gargles. So, no, the vaccine is not needed by anyone. It has not gone through human testing. Uh, we have reason to believe it's probably as unsafe, in fact, even maybe more unsafe than the prior vaccines. So I sharply disagree with that, doctor. There's no evidence to support any of his claims that anyone should take these shots. Is is American public health policy driving the pharmaceutical industries or are the pharma, pharmaceutical companies driving American health policy? I believe this syndicate, in my book, Courage to Face COVID-19, this syndicate of uh, government agencies, NGOs, or not-for-profit not for uh, organizations like the Gates Foundation and the pharmaceutical companies, they're working together and they're rewarding each other as they drive this vaccine agenda. You know, we've had nine out of the last 10 FDA commissioners get rewarded by jobs within this syndicate, this biopharmaceutical complex. That's, that's what they're working for is their next job. We've had leaders from Denmark and now the United Kingdom they take jobs directly with Moderna afterwards. After they've pushed the vaccines as public health uh, agency directors, they take jobs with Moderna. So that's what's going on is they're taking care of each other as they railroad this agenda. And the, the people are profiting are the companies. Now, remember, a billion-dollar drug would have been a blockbuster like Lipitor with, for Pfizer. Pfizer in its first year of sales with the, their vaccine, $100 billion. So these vaccines blow away typical drugs. And this is a money frenzy right now. These are pre-purchased products. Uh, you don't even commercially buy them. They're considered government property. The government's pre-purchased them without competitive bidding. Things are out of control. Dr. McCullough, one of the more recent uh, entries on the um, Courageous Discourse uh, substack um, is about myocarditis. Um, it, this one is attributed to John Leake. The agency in the CDC uh, ignored or downplayed many communiques about myocarditis in 2021. You also spoke at that Pennsylvania Senate uh, 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 hearing uh, just a couple of months ago about myocarditis and about sudden deaths and about why it is that people who participate in physically strenuous uh, activities like sports, if they have myocarditis and are in such great uh, uh, jeopardy, and the fact that once it became known, they stopped testing for myocarditis once the shot started to be put into arms all across this country. Can you tell us more about the dangers of heart inflammation as a result of these uh, RNA shots? In October of 2022, the FDA, in its review of the vaccines, said the vaccines were likely to cause myocarditis. 
In June of 2021, the FDA came out and said the vaccines cause myocarditis. That's heart damage. Our guidelines in cardiology say that athletes cannot exercise if they have heart damage. It'll trigger a cardiac arrest. That's exactly what's happened. The athletes have taken the vaccine, and when they exercise, it will trigger a, a lethal arrhythmia and cause cardiac arrest. Now we have scores of cases. Paper by Holscher and colleagues, I'm the senior author, have autopsy-proven fatal myocarditis. So myocarditis is common. Two papers, one by Mansugin, the other one by Buren, show that 2.5% of people who take the shots get heart damage, and then a smaller fraction will suffer a cardiac arrest. And that's what we're seeing in our athletes and public figures. Uh, the next person who dies, if they don't have a clear-cut prior uh, fatal illness, like a, you know, a, a terminal cancer or what have you, very likely they've died because of the vaccine. Dr. McCullough, you spoke um, also in that uh, Pennsylvania hearing of of the the numbers when it comes to VARES um, and the number of deaths reported uh, as a result of vaccines um, prior to COVID and then once COVID began. I don't have the numbers memorized, but I remember being staggered by them. Um, and yet we continue to be told that those of us who say that the shots cause people to die, uh, whether it be by cardiac arrest or any other other reasons, we're the ones who are the conspiracy theorists. Can you give us a little bit more specific information about what VAERS showed then versus what it has shown since COVID? Yeah, so VAERS, which records uh, all the safety events coming in from vaccines when doctors recognize it and take the time and effort to report it, uh, records what happens. Prior to COVID, the number of deaths per year across all the vaccines and half the country takes flu shots and, and the, you know, the, the, the dozens and dozens of mandatory shots the kids take, the total number of deaths about 150 per year. It can happen, a fatal allergic reaction, et cetera. Since COVID-19, the vaccine deaths skyrocketed. Do you know how many have occurred now since the COVID vaccines? Uh, as of through August 25th, 2023, they're at 18,015 deaths of just Americans. 18,015 deaths of Americans who've died of the COVID vaccine. And then importantly... Dr. McCall, before you continue, are those autopsy verified? No, they're not autopsy verified, but they are reported by doctors largely who think the vaccines caused it. And in those, the CDC has a report, I'm looking at it right now, in those, about 1,100 of the 18,000, they occur right in the vaccine center or within a few hours after taking the shot. So, uh, you know, this has been uh, heavily uh, analyzed, and it's concluded the shots are the cause of death. You know, those ones that occur in the vaccine center, it's just obvious. They're, they walk in, they're fine, they take the shot, and they die. Why is the FDA not revoking that emergency use authorization? And why didn't they revoke it within the first week or so of this being rolled out, considering the numbers that you are talking about? They should have. You know, when Pfizer, under court order, Pfizer finally had to release their post-marketing data. Within a few weeks or a few, at least 90 days of release of Pfizer, there was 1,223 deaths. Pfizer recorded every one of them. People called them in and said, my, my mom or dad just took Pfizer and they died. And Pfizer should have pulled it. The FDA should have pulled it. You know, the FDA attempted to block that report to America for 55 years in court. So the FDA did not want to release the information. The FDA is not pulling these off the market. You know, this is a, a railroad job on the public of taking a lethal vaccine. 
See, that's why I asked what I asked you earlier, Dr. Peter McCullough, um, about who's driving the policy here. Because I cannot understand how, you know, those who are entrusted with the policy that will, will help Americans live or die know this, that there is a drug that is now being administered and in fact being encouraged and in, for two years was mandated for federal employees and contracted employees and so on and so forth. Um, mandatory to get onto a college campus, mandatory to go back to a school, all of these different things that were done. If they know that's going on, how are they not pulling it? It's got to be a profit motive. I mean, I cannot prove it, obviously, and I don't know if anybody can, but is that all we're talking about here is big pharmaceutical companies making tens of billions of dollars per fiscal quarter using some of those dollars to pay for the access to the public? It's hard to know. I mean, we'd have to see the money trail. You know, many of these people took the shots themselves. So I think a lot of them can't psychologically handle the fact that the shots are causing death. They've already taken it. The shots are inside their body. You can't get it out. It's terrifying. The average person who took the shot, if you talk to them about it, they'll say, listen, I don't want to talk about it. It just really turns their stomach. So I think there's a big psychological factor, too. Did you ever consider taking the shots when they came out? Never. No, the shots were never thought to be safe. I was the only public figure in America who published widely questioning the vaccines in the summer of 2020. I published it in The Hill. Widely read by the House, the Senate, the White House. And the title of my op-ed was The Great Gamble of These Vaccines. You're talking to the only public figure in America who questioned these. Everyone else was in a fear-driven trance. They lined up these shots. And then they took them. Now there's a world of regret. What is your uh, your your opinion or your impression of Dr. Malone, who did take the sh- first two shots, because this, of course, was technology he trusted. He was, you know, partly responsible for the development of. And then after the fact, he said he told me directly that it almost killed him those two shots, and there's no way he would ever touch a booster because he does not want to die. Um, what, do you have a do you have an opinion of Dr. Malone and his uh, his response to all of this? No, I don't have any opinions on him, but, you know, I published a um, a Courageous Discourse substack about uh, messenger RNA patents, mm-hmm. and I summarized an important paper by Lee and colleagues. Now, this was in the August 22nd issue of Courageous Discourse. I, I titled it the Global Messenger RNA Patent Frenzy. But I, I want to let people know that patents go way back to the 1980s, and there's a total of 9,613 patent documents out there, and... Uh, what we know is these are the, the top inventors of messenger RNA, the, the, the top uh, uh, ones. The first one is Sanofi. They've got uh, uh, 10,079 patent documents. Then it's CureVac, 523. Moderna's got 323. BioNTech's got 245. Evan- Ananta is 144. Now the U.S. government, Department of Health and Human Services, has 187. Those are the top six holders. So let me tell you, inventing messenger RNA is big pharma, big government business. Uh, There's not a single individual listed. So, um, you know, I can tell you, it's been big business for a long time. Our government has had a love affair with messenger RNA since the 1980s. We are talking with Dr. Peter McCullough. If you just turned us on, Dr. McCullough is a well-known advocate for medical freedom. He's the co-author of The Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. I've got one more question on the shots and the new ones that they're trying to push on people, the new boosters, and then I want to get into other COVID protocols that we may be facing. Um, This one is going back to your substack, Courageous Discourse. The spike protein 
that is in the RNA uh, shots, and again, I hate call, calling them vaccines because they do not inoculate, but the uh, spike protein contained within those shots are now linked in addition to the myocarditis you referenced, pericarditis, blood clots, and so many other things, to Alzheimer's acceleration. Can you explain that? You know, in paper I co-published with Dr. Stephanie Senna from, from MIT, uh, there is a strong uh, theoretical basis for the vaccines potentially accelerating all, Alzheimer's as well as Parkinson's, other neurodegenerative diseases, because the spike protein is in the brain. And in a paper by Marx from Germany, in a man with a Parkinson's who took three shots and his Parkinson's got worse, he died a fatal collapse of myocarditis. He had an autopsy and the brain was loaded with the vaccine spike protein. So it, it becomes, uh, it folds, becomes an amyloid-like protein and indeed, uh, you know, it's in the brain. So finding the spike protein in the brain from the vaccine is very worrisome. And uh, you know, people should understand this. This is serious business. Alzheimer's and uh, as well as Parkinson's, other problems later on, they take a long time to develop. But they develop because of abnormal proteins folding in the brain. These spike proteins, the fact that they impact and affect the brain and have been found in the brain um, is is staggering. But uh, prior even to that, we have known that they are affecting virtually all organs, are they not? I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean they're killing every organ in the body, but every major organ is being infected by the spike proteins in some way or shape or form, are they not? Autopsy studies by Dr. Arnie Burkhart, as well as Bowmeyer and Schwab, uh, again, everything I cite can be found uh, in the medical literature. It's on my courageous discourse substack. They find the spike protein everywhere, brain, heart, adrenal glands, reproductive organs. And everywhere there's spike protein, there's inflammation and disease and damage occurring. It's very worrisome. Liver, kidneys, lungs? Everywhere. Oh, everywhere. It, it, it's, it's, it's remarkable. And, and going back to the FDA's emergency use authorization to, to push these, um, the first word comes to mind now. I mean, we are no longer in a global pandemic. Does the word emergency even apply anymore to to push and promote these uh, these new boosters? I mean, uh, how are we still in an emergency situation where these could still be um, available on the market? In my estimation, the medical emergency really was over with January of 2021 when the hospital case count started going down. I had already testified in the U.S. Senate in November 19th of 2020, introduced the McCullough Protocol. Once the protocols kicked in, we were able to clear the hospitals out. There hasn't been an emergency since January of 2021. There's still been COVID, but it's easily treated. Uh, the government extending the emergency to May of 2023 was completely unnecessary. Now the emergency has been dropped by the Biden administration, and the emergency use authorization products persist. So yeah, that, that's what I don't understand. How are those still available? How are those being pushed on television by doctors? And how is Big Pharma able to able to continue this if the emergency portion of emergency use authorization has now been struck? There's only one word: corruption. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I guess that would be the case. And I just don't know how many Americans, and quite frankly, people around the globe who are who are being, you know, going to have these uh, these new shots pushed on them as well. This uh, subvariant uh, uh, shot um, don't don't understand the same thing. You know, there is no longer an emergency. Therefore, this emergency use is no longer approved by the FDA, and therefore it should be taken away. Um, I, I want to pivot, though, if I can, Doctor Peter McCullough, to some of the other protocols. As you know, um, well. 
let me rephrase. I don't want to tell you what you know. You tell us what you know about the damage that was done by massive mandated masking of people of all ages, putting those things on for seven hours of a school day, eight hours of a work shift to be able to travel and so forth. All of the things that were done the first time around are starting to come back now. There are health institutions uh, and networks that are saying you must mask up to go into their facilities. Um, schools are doing this all over again in various states across the country. This is the beginning of what looks like a return to that same masking protocol. Can you tell us how that affects our health? A Cochrane analysis by Tom Ferguson, first author, uh, over 80 studies, masking doesn't work. doesn't work at all. Even N95 masks don't work. The CDC says the only time it's reasonable to wear a mask is when we go into the hospital in respiratory isolation, period. So there's no role for public masking. Studies show that the fibers are breathed into the lungs. It irritates the lungs. There's germs that collect in the masks. Uh, they impair childhood development, make people sick. So people should not wear masks. But people should breathe fresh air. That's the best way to go. You've testified before congressional and Senate committees. Do they understand this? Is there, is there is there because people seem to think that well you know even if um, even if the masks don't help they make people feel good let's go ahead and put those on anyway because it's just a respectful thing to other people around you do they understand that the, and when I'm talking about that I'm talking about the policymakers do they understand the health dangers in addition to the fact that they don't actually stop respiratory infection being spread the policymakers are not showing that they have perception and insight. So they may listen to a hearing, they may review data, but they can't make intelligent decisions. And so that's what we're really facing here right now. An overwhelming amount of information is showing that masks don't work, people should breathe fresh air, and yet recommendations. Now, they're not coming down from the CDC, the NIH or FDA, or even the House or the Senate, but they're coming down through companies and schools. And the leaders there you need to understand that even our CDC says don't wear a mask. Dr. Anthony Fauci, who became America's doctor when it came to COVID protocols, um, Dr. Fauci says some of the studies show that masks actually do help cut down on the spread of, of, uh, of COVID. Yeah, he's not supported by the literature. He didn't cite a single uh, scientific study when he made that statement. In fact, what he said was, he said that masks work on an individual basis without yes. any support. So, no, I wouldn't uh, follow Dr. Fauci. I have far more publications than he does, far more clinical experience than he does. He's, he's a junior physician, even at, you know, over age 80. And at this point in time, America needs to move on. He's greatly misled the country. Uh, you know, there's been charges of, of fraud. It's obviously defrauded uh, the United States on the origins of SARS-CoV-2. His His division at the NIH actually helped uh, create SARS-CoV-2. This has all come out in the House Senate testimony. No, No one should trust the person who helped create the virus. Nobody should trust him on answers of what to do about the virus. How did he earn that trust? How did he become the face and the voice of this entire thing? I mean, under President Trump, he was the trusted uh, voice, along with Dr. Burks. Under President Biden, he still was. How did he end up in the position of power and authority uh, that he got, especially if he was partly responsible for the development of the, of the virus? It's a giant mistake committed and made by two presidential administrations. We should ask the administration officials why. 
was he brought in to begin with, and why was he maintained? You know, both administrations have hired and fired people. They've reset the team. They always do. How in the world did that happen? I think people need to ask some hard questions of both administrations and, and potentially future administrations if they if they call him back. People should be asking hard questions. How can CNN or MSNBC or CNBC, how can they have him on when he's currently under investigation by the House Select Committee as defrauding the, the nation? That is a very fair question. And and the last one I'm going to have for you, we, we, we have barely scratched the surface of all of the research you have done and all of the reporting you've done. Uh, but I'll ask this to wrap this conversation up today. Um, does the WHO bear more or less responsibility for the protocols that have been so damaging than the United States, uh, the CDC and the United States Department of Health? WHO bears more responsibility uh, because they have a global reach. And they should have never advised people take these vaccines. They're not safe. They're not effective. They weren't adequately tested. WHO uh, should be independent of all these vaccine manufacturers and the biopharmaceutical complex. They should have made the independent decision to say, don't take the vaccine. They did that from remdesivir, and they were right. The WHO said, don't use remdesivir for hospitalized patients because it doesn't work and it causes harm. They were right. The WHO said, don't do testing in asymptomatic people. They were right, but the WHO made the wrong call on the vaccines, and boy, they're going to basically pay the price for this, you know, yeah. forever, I think. Remdesivir, ventilators, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, these are all questions we didn't even have time for today, but I know you have a lot of great research and, uh, and, and information to share. I hope to have you back again, Dr. McCullough. I thank you so much for what you do. Please keep fighting for all of us. Medical freedom should be a, should be a given right to every single one of us, and I know you're fighting for that, and thank you so very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, that's Dr. Peter McCullough. It took us right up until the 11 o'clock hour. We'll take our news break here. We're going to want to respond to some of that when we can. But we have another guest coming up. I told you we were packed to the gills today, and we're going to talk uh, coming up in just a few minutes with uh, Chuck Barham of uh, Freedom Square. If you have not yet downloaded the Freedom Square app, do it before we get him on, and then you'll know what we're talking about. Stay here on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. You know, we've been playing that to start the third hour of this show um, ever since we started the third hour of this show. 
And every single day I hear it, it still gets me juiced. It, just, it You know, if you don't have just a little bit of a goosebump going, a little bit of the hair on the on your arm standing up or the back of your neck when you hear the great communicator with those words of inspiration, uh, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Welcome. Hour 3 is underway. Seven minutes past 11 o'clock on this Thursday, the seventh morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Dr. Peter McCullough. Um, and that conversation we just had, which I think was extraordinary, not because of anything I did, but because of the information he provided, will be available to you uh, on the webpage, whkradio.com. Go to the podcast page. Uh, about an hour after the show, everything is usually uploaded. All of the conversations we've had today, by the way, will be there, including Dr. Everett Piper. Uh, we also spoke uh, to Congressman Jim Jordan this morning. So all of those conversations will be there. But the conversation about the coming COVID tyranny that we just had with Dr. McCullough is going to be isolated as well. So we'll make sure you can find that and share that. I will post it on all my socials because he's his his information is just extraordinarily important. I cannot overstate what Dr. McCullough and people like Dr. Malone, whom we spoke with last week, have been able to do. Um, and it needs to be shared. So I'll put it on my all my socials, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Truth Social, and on Instagram, everywhere that I can put it where they won't cancel it and, 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 and ban me for it. But um, just know that it will be there for you to share with others on all of those, at least until it isn't. And if it isn't anymore, then you just pull it yourself from whkradio.com. All right. Um, Speaking of online and speaking of being censored and banned and everything else that goes on with the social media left-wing Silicon Valley world, uh, it's a, a great treat to be able to talk about something that is the opposite of that, something that promotes freedom. How about that? What a great idea. Information online that is not censored by the radical left. Information that you can get consolidated in one place through an app that I've been telling you about for a bit now that is available to you. Download it for your phone, whether it's an iPhone or it's an Android platform, or get it right on your web page. It's called Freedom Square. And joining me now is the CMO. That's the Chief Marketing Officer for Freedom Square, Chuck Barham. Chuck, thanks for joining us here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? Bob, it's a pleasure to be on with you. I appreciate it. And wow, I don't you did my job for me right there. <laughs> about Freedom Square. So thank you. I've been You're using hired. it. Yeah. I've been using it, Chuck, ever since I got wind of it and uh you know got an opportunity to download it before it became available on the marketplace um and in the app store and I love it. I it's part of my show prep every single day. I was telling the the the, the folks uh, this morning at the top of the show, you know, preparing a radio show like this that is, you know, uh filled with information you're not going to get from the corporate media, uh things you're going to get from more conservative media or tr- quite frankly more truth-telling media. It's a chore to bounce around from place to place site to site trying to find information that is going to be counter to or provide maybe the rest of the context necessary that is missing from mainstream news sources and ever since freedom square became available chuck i love it because now i don't have to bounce around i have so much of it just condensed in one place and that's what freedom square is all about to me and that's just basically one venue of freedom square because you can go in and personalize your experience you can tell us what news providers you want to show up in your main feed, what podcasters you want to follow. And then what we're building out also is America's Chamber of Freedom for business owners and consumers to start connecting and start doing business together. Because, gosh darn it, Bob, we've got to start doing it. We've got to start spending money with those that believe in what we believe in, share those values. So, yeah, you're spot on. FreedomSquare.com is being built for people that love America, people that are still pro-American, pro-freedom, 
and the rights that God has given us uh, based you know, in our Constitution. So that's what we've built. We've built a new place, a new home for people to call home. It's free. You can log in. All it takes is your email. You can register. We'll never, ever sell your information. You can register for free inside of freedomsquare.com and then start connecting. This is just, we're still kind of in a beta test right now, but getting ready to launch into doing your own personal profile. So, Bob, you'll be able to have your own personal profile inside of Freedom Square. So if you're afraid of being shadow banned on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or X, whatever we're calling it today, you can start putting all of your stuff in Freedom Square and having your listeners go there to check out your material. I love that. That's such a great idea, and especially on the business side. We'll go back to the other stuff in the news in a moment. But, you know, uh, everybody knows about Bud Light. Everybody knows about Target. And, you know, some of these companies have lost billions and billions of dollars in market val- market value. Uh, and um, it's because we know what we don't like, and, and, and we make it very, very clear. And boycotts and protests because of various things happen. But that's different than actually supporting businesses we do like, finding and letting other people know these people are like us. These people have freedom in mind. These people love our country. They believe in the law. They believe in the Constitution. They believe in family values and so forth. We need people to be aware that these businesses are out there rather than just saying, I don't like that one, but now where do I go to find something I do like? Here it is. Correct. And, you know, Chuck's Flower Shop should get to know Bob's Tire Store that maybe is only three or four blocks away there in Cleveland, but they don't, but they're afraid to talk about it. They're afraid to speak out because they're afraid of what will happen. But we can't be like that anymore. We have to start doing business with each other. And that's why we built the platform freedomsquare.com. As you said, you can download the app. If you've got an Apple iPhone, if you've got a, an Android, it's all there for you for free. You can download it right now and then start connecting. And this is just, like I said, this is the foundation we're building right now with your news, your podcast, your resources. And I'm proud to say that we partnered with Job Creators Network to help power our business network in building out America's Chamber of Freedom, because that's going to be the big venue that people are going to be able to go inside of and say, I need to find a roofing company. I need to find a landscaper. I need to find a carpeting company. I need to find somebody to work on, on my mom's car for me. Well, it's all going to be there inside of Freedom Square. But it doesn't happen until businesses go in there and register. And right now, you can register your business for free inside of Freedom Square. And I'm then start customizing. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm looking at it right now, Chuck. Uh, we're talking to Chuck yes, Barham. He's the chief marketing officer for Freedom Square online at freedomsquare.com and available in your app store for your phone or your uh, your Google Play Store. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the the the, uh, the heading right now, and right up next to the home button is a, is a, is a plus sign that says "Add Business." It's that easy. Yes. If you want to be known and to share uh, what you do uh, with with others who are like minded and other businesses, it's very simple to do, and that's free, right? It's free to list your business there. Yeah, it's free. Correct. It is free to list your business right now on freedomsquare.com. There's going to be another layer that we're going to add on. That's going to be a big entrepreneurial toolbox that we're going to be creating with Job Creators Network. So once you get inside there, get comfortable with it, start connecting with other businesses, then there'll be another layer that you can add on to it probably in the next three to four weeks is our goal uh, that will really hyperdrive and send people's businesses into another uh, level because our goal is to be the high tide that rises to the ship. We want to give businesses the tools to go in there and build a business within our community in freedomsquare.com. So this is just, like I said, level one, the basis foundation, register your email, create your profile, add your business, and start sniffing around, start connecting. And they can, you know, people can email me directly, Bob. I have no problem with that. You can email me, Chuck at freedomsquare.com. It's Chuck at freedomsquare.com. More than happy to connect with business owners in America, uh, you know, Americans throughout this great land. 
Uh, Chuck Barham is our guest, Chief Marketing Officer at Freedom Square. That's great info on the business side. Let, let's go to the podcast part of this for a second now. Um, I think I saw over 100 different podcasts are available right now. How do you choose which podcasts get listed? Uh, or is that kind of like the business? If you've got a podcast and you want to you know, share it with a, with, a, with a crowd on Freedom Square, you can go ahead and add it there. How does that work? That's another great question. What we've done is we've, we've taken all the big ones, your Joe Rogans of the world, your Adam Carollas, your Glenn Beck, your Charlie Kirk, your Sebastian Gorkas. But what we're also doing is we want to give a voice to some of the ones that aren't known and don't have the, the outlet that, you know, freedomsquare.com is going to be building for them. So we're, we're asking, and I guess you could say not begging, but asking, I should say asking people to, hey, what's a podcast you listen to that other people should know about? Please email me, chuck at freedomsquare.com. We'll be more than happy to have a conversation with the show host, and we can vet it out, just like Gun Freedom Radio with Dan and Cheryl Todd. I don't know how many people know about that, but they're great Americans. I believe they're based out of Texas. We've had conversations uh, with them. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Another one in here, uh, Okie, Okie Patriot Podcast out of Oklahoma. It's a, a gentleman that just got fed up with what was going on in the school system, decided to put on a podcast. And we vetted him. And now he's a part of Freedom Square's world, and he's like, guys, thanks so much. I've gone from 500 downloads every show to now I'm over 1,200 downloads. So we're starting to make a difference there. So that's where you can also go in inside of your customized dashboard in your Freedom Square experience and say, hey, I want to follow X, Y, and Z's podcast. I want to follow these news sites. I want to follow these businesses. And then they start to show up in the main feed of your freedomsquare.com feed. So when it comes to podcasts, we've got the big dogs in there, but we also have got these these podcasters that are trying to make a difference, and we want to give them a voice inside of Freedom Square. Yeah, I love that, and uh, and especially because of what you just said. The big dogs are there. Everybody wants them, and, and why not get them here instead of going to one of the other services? And then secondly, you have an opportunity for upstarts to be heard and to expand themselves, something that I'm actually working on myself with a with a conservative friend and, uh, and a very powerful figure here in the state of Ohio. So these are the kinds of things that I need to know, we need to know, and others who might be uh, in the same situation. And now the news. Uh, again, I think right now it says there are 25 news sites that are linked and listed. You can, like you said, customize it to your own particular taste. Anybody can. How do you decide which news sites to, uh, to, to use? You know, that's another great thing because these news organizations all like to silo themselves. You know, Hot Air, OAN, The Federalist, Washington Times, Breitbart, Citizen Free Press, Conservative Daily News, they have to start getting used to seeing each other on the same platform. And that was part of our thinking is, guys, let's get, you know, the Patriot Post next to The Spectator, next to Newsmax, next to Legal Insurrection, next to Just the News. So we go in and we really look and see who they are. We talk to their editors. We talk to the owners of these organizations as much as we can to make sure that they're on our side as far as being pro-American, pro-freedom, and they're not going to stifle uh, America's uh, First Amendment right. And that's what we try to do. Now, have we kicked anybody off? No, but we've had some deep conversations with some news providers on some stories that we felt weren't fair, that weren't showing both sides of the story, or being truthful. So that's what we do. We do our best, but we also want to give our Freedom Square users the opportunity to say, hey, look, I want to follow these people. And we can see the analytics internally and what's being followed. We never sell that information. It's always going to stay under our, under our uh, watch, but we can see who's being lifted and who's just kind of staying at the bottom of the rung. So it's fun to watch this. It's great to bring on new news sites and news organizations that maybe you haven't heard of that are maybe going to give you a perspective that you didn't think about because that's what it's about, the First Amendment, exercising that right to free speech. That is so important. Chuck Barham, the uh, CMO, that's Chief Marketing Officer of Freedom Square, online at freedomsquare.com. And, and the best part about it, like I said, you made my job easier. 
Now I don't have to be bop around yeah. on different sites. I can go to one place and see the most important articles, the most important topics and issues of discussion on the radio show uh, right there for me. So uh, you've already got my vote. I love it <laughs> for my own personal yeah. purposes. But everybody's, no, seriously, everybody is going to find a reason to want to download this app and go to this site and check it out on a daily basis. We cannot get all of the stories, news, and information that, and, and business connections, as you just, you just pointed out, uh, you know, in the mainstream news, we just can't get it in mainstream media, corporate media. You know, they're, they're basically shills and, you know, the uh, marketing arm of the Democrat National Committee. This is what we see over and over again. This is different. This gives us an opportunity to see all of the news, not just the left slanted version of it. I love the idea, Chuck, and I'm so glad you put this together. Keep us posted as to new developments on this. If you would, we'll share them with everybody. And hopefully everybody listening right now is already downloading the app. Bob, I'd love to come back on in, you know, three, four, five weeks from now and start to talk about what we've done with creating your personal profile. That's going to be the next level that we take Freedom Square to. You've got your business profile, but now you can start to create your personal profile. We'll talk about that. And and I'm glad we can make your producer and your jobs easier each and every morning to uh, not have to rifle through eight different websites. You can go right to Freedom Square. Eight, he says. Eight. (laughs) (laughs) Chuck Barb, thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Bless you, sir, and keep up the fight for freedom. We're here at freedomsquare.com. Anytime you need us, we're here, Bob. Amen. Thank you, Chuck. Chuck Barham, CMO of uh, Freedom Square at freedomsquare.com. I love it. It's a great site. I've been using the app literally for the, I don't know, when did I get this? Two months ago or something before it was ready for uh, for launch. But I got a sneak look at it earlier to see how I used it and how I can use it. And I do, literally, not kidding. I wish I could do a screenshot right now and show you if we were doing this uh, live on Rumble, which is something I want to do eventually, by the way. Uh, I would show you this screen of my uh, social media apps, and it's right there at the very top, in the top row. Uh, it's the Freedom Score app. It's uh, got a little, uh, it's a, it's a little flag, basically a little version of a flag, and uh, it references exactly what you just heard from Chuck. So that's good stuff. All right, eleven twenty-one. We'll take a time out now. Finally, we can take phone calls. We've been busy with guests since we launched this morning, and now we have an opportunity. So between now and 1145, dial 216-901-0945. You want to respond to anything you heard from Dr. McCullough, anything you heard from Dr. Piper, anything you heard from uh, Chairman Jordan, or even anything you just heard from Chuck on Freedom Square, whatever you want to get into, we'll do it. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. This is Always Right Radio. Okay, 1123. <clears throat> Appreciate you being with us this morning. We've had, a, like I said, a ton of information shared, and I could have gone another two hours with uh, Peter McCullough. Something that I actually hope to do in the future. Guys like Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, I shouldn't say just guys, people like, but you realize I'm not being gender specific there. Um, the individuals that I've been speaking with about this coming COVID tyranny are the giants in the field. You understand that? And we're going to continue to do that. We're going to bring on Dr. Bhattacharya. We're going to bring on Dr. Marty Makari. We're going to bring on every single one of them we can until we have tried, you know, essentially reached critical mass to get to enough people um, to share and, and to essentially undermine the efforts of the big pharmaceutical companies that are using the big pharmaceutical industrial complex to hook Americans by way of psychological operation and fear uh, into buying all of their products. 
getting them hooked on these jabs and on these masks and on all of these other these other ideas to the point where people are so afraid. They're so afraid of breathing the air around them. They're so afraid of coming into human contact with people. They're so afraid of of living that they literally won't make a move without asking one of these big pharmaceutical companies and their on payroll doctors uh, for you know for the right products to do it. I don't think that's an overstatement. I really don't. I don't think that's hyperbole. I want to give you a little bit more of what Dr. McCullough had to say. Now, I played a clip or two uh, from his testimony before the Pennsylvania State Senate about the dangers of these jabs. This is recent. This is two months ago that he spoke to the Pennsylvania State Senate about some of the dangers of the RNA technology that they are now modifying for this new sub-variant of Omicron, this thing called ERIS, E-R-I-S, which, again, is so mild, as he just said, it's cold. And this is why this is so important, by the way. And before I play the clip, and that's why I said I'm going to keep having these, these doctors on, people in years gone by, not even decades, just in recent years, prior to all of this crap, but decades ago as well, when you got a cold, what did you normally do? You, you checked your symptoms and decided for yourself whether you are sick enough to stay home or whether you can go to work. And it was based on two factors. One, do I feel good enough to make it through the workday? And two, oh, crap, I don't want to give it to anybody else. And that's how you decided. And that's it. If your kid said, Mommy, I don't feel good, Daddy, I don't feel good, you check their temperature, you know, you check their, you know, see if they have any aches and pains, any wheeziness or anything going on, all right, you can go back to bed, stay home from school today, I'll call you in. And then a day or two later, I'm feeling better, Mommy, and away we go. Now, because of what they have done to us through psychological operations and conditioning and, and control, behavioral control now mommy i don't feel so good what oh my gosh i'm calling 911 right now we're getting you a covid test i'm calling the clinic we're going in to get a covid test but mommy i just i, I just uh, it's just i have a sore throat it's not a big deal nope we're jamming that thing up your nose and we're finding out if you've got some semblance of covid that's what people are doing we've been conditioned And what I want people to do is stop taking the damn tests. Stop rushing to the giant six-foot-long Q-tip to jam it up into your brain to pull down some sort of of, of ridiculous, ridiculously minute amount of what might be a respiratory virus. Just treat it and then go back to school. Treat it and then go back to work. Take some Theraflu. Take some, you know, Tussin or something for your cough or, or, or take some ibuprofen if you've got a sore throat dude, or, or an earache. Just treat yourself the way you always treated yourself. Stop running to the COVID test. That's what's causing all of this because every time you do it and they can change the, uh, uh, the, the cycle amount. I, I can't remember the phrasing right now, but the, the cycle amount. <clears throat> 
to determine whether or not you have COVID or if you have had COVID or if it's been present in you before. And they can make it, oh, there's another case to go. Oh, there's another case to go. And then suddenly the, the health department is reporting we've had, you know, 3,000 new cases of COVID that have been tested positive in, uh, you know, in the last month in this county or that county. And suddenly we're back to masks. Suddenly we're back to go get jabbed again. Stop giving them the the, the the ammunition that they need to keep turning the weapons against you. You're giving them the ammunition they need to control your life. Stop testing. If you've got a minor cold, ear infection, I guess if it's an ear infection, you've got to go to the doctor for the ear infection just to get the antibiotics. If one of the nurses says, we're going to jam this up here and test for COVID, you say, the hell you are. No, you're not. I just want the antibiotic. I've got an ear infection. I've had it before. I got a sore throat. I got a little fever. No, I don't need a COVID test. Stop letting them control you. Tell them no. Do you do know that you don't have to do everything that doctor says when you walk into the building, right? You do know that when she says, I need you to step on the scale right here to get your weight, and you're like, I'm here for an eye exam. Doesn't matter. Get on the scale. No, it does matter to me. No, I'm not. You don't have to do everything they tell you to do. You are a free person. They are your medical provider. You don't have to do what they tell you to do. You ask them for their opinions and act on your own free will. Stop letting them control us. I'll play some of those clips from Dr. McCullough next. I'll take some calls, 216-901-0945. Stay here. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France of The Answer. Oh, goodness gracious. I just posted it uh, on my Facebook page. Just for the purpose of spreading the message. You do know, and, and this might be a little known fact, but you should know. You don't have to do everything that that doctor or that nurse tells you. You don't. If you go in for a cold and you just want your cold to be treated, tell them I just want a treat- treatment for my cold, for my ear infection, for my sore throat. That's all I want. They come at you with that great big swab. No, thank you. What do you mean, no, thank you? We have to test you for COVID. No, you don't. I just want treat for my treatment for my cold. If I can't get it from you, fine. I'll go treat it over the counter myself. I don't want your swab test the cycle cycle threshold it just occurred to me what that phrasing was before the cycle threshold that they use for covid testing can be manipulated to uh to to prove that you have something that you do not have because maybe you had it in the past or maybe there is some remnant of it that is still there the cycle threshold i remember reporting on this in depth during the actual covid um, hysteria the pandemic years, and I don't have the all this stuff memorized right now, but I just remember the th- cycle threshold. They can change that cycle threshold to find some remnant of something and say, oh, you're COVID positive. And, and the example that I read, it was terrific, and I remember doing it back in 2020, 2021. Um, but, but the example was, you know, if, if, if you want to prove that, for example, your, your grandfather was in the living room, and Grandpa wasn't in the living room. 
they can change the cycle threshold to find some fiber from grandpa's sweater still stuck on a on a chair from from six months ago, the last time grandpa was over. And that cycle threshold that is used, like I said, it becomes so specific. If it finds any little hint that grandpa was there in a previous time, now it will be reported as grandpa's in, in your living room. That's it again, that's a very clumsy you know, recounting of the way that was worded when I when I did it. But I think you understand the point. They can manipulate the testing that they do for COVID to say, oh, there is a COVID, there is a remnant of COVID, because maybe you did have it in 2020. I had it in October of 2020. I had COVID. If they did a test on me right now and and ramped up that cycle threshold to the highest um, uh, possible amount, they will pull something out of me that says that that recognizes that I had COVID. Remember, I built up anti-COVID antibodies. So did you if you had it. But they will find something in you and say, oh, COVID is present. It's a COVID positive test. It's like, no, I had it three years ago. I don't have it now, but the, again, the tests can be manipulated, which is why what I'm putting on my Facebook page and everywhere else I can to encourage people to stop enabling the, that, that psychological operation against us by refusing the COVID test. Little known fact, you don't have to do everything your doctor says. If you go in with a cold, treat the cold. Refuse the COVID test. Do not allow them to manipulate it. All right. Having said that, let's go back to what Dr. McCullough and I were talking about. As a doctor, I am seeing and managing patients who suffer vaccine injuries, disabilities, and sadly dealing with families uh, whose loved ones died after the vaccine. What I can tell you is that uh, by January 22nd of 2021, the U.S. Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System had already recorded 182 deaths with the COVID-19 vaccine. That's just actually a few weeks into the campaign. The whole system for all the vaccines combined for every year it's ever been done typically comes in at about 150 deaths, which can happen. People can die of acute allergic reactions, widely administered vaccines. But 182, we were over the line. Over the line by a lot. And it's it's this constant need to test, 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 test that people are still doing right now, that constant need um, that have us have them pushing more of these shots on us, telling us that everybody six months of age and up should get these shots. Pfizer, Moderna, and the other manufacturers, by obligation, kept records for 90 days after release of their vaccine. By obligation. By regulatory obligation. None of them voluntarily disclosed their data to the U.S. public. They did to the FDA. And under court order, after many, many months, Pfizer was forced to release their data that the FDA knew about. In fact, the lawyer for the FDA wanted to block this information for 55 years to the American public. This is prima facie evidence that the FDA is involved in a drug safety cover-up. I want to hit that part again. You need to know this before you roll up your sleeve for Pfizer. Before you even think about that. Pfizer wanted to cover up the data of the damage that can be done by their jab for 55 years. Because what's going to happen in 55 years? You'll be dead. Almost everybody who got this will have died by then, and by the time the truth comes out, nothing will be able to be done about it. That the FDA 
knew about. In fact, the lawyer for the FDA wanted to block this information for 55 years to the American public. This is prima facie evidence that the FDA is involved in a drug safety cover-up. Sorry, sorry, I think I said Pfizer, and what I mean is the FDA in concert with Pfizer and Moderna and the others. The FDA sought to cover it up for 55 years. What does that tell you? If this was, as they try to tell us, safe and effective, then why would they be covering all of that up for 55 years? What we learned from that dossier is that Pfizer knew about 1,223 deaths within 90 days of their vaccine. Sometimes many patients on the same day they took it or a few days afterwards. It exactly matched the early data in VAERS. And Pfizer intentionally kept this confidential. The FDA kept it confidential. To this day, uh, not a single Pfizer representative has been questioned by any congressional or senate committee on this moderna still has not released their data the president of moderna has been before the u.s senate was never asked about the 90-day regulatory dossier of what the vaccine manufacturers know i can promise you the next member of congress i talk to and maybe it'll be jim jordan on monday again but the next member of congress i talk to i will ask that very question when is somebody going to call pfizer to testify before a congressional committee to tell the truth. To this this. day, uh, not a single Pfizer representative has been questioned by any congressional or Senate committee on this. Moderna still has not released their data. The president of Moderna has been before the U.S. Senate, was never asked about the 90-day regulatory dossier of what the vaccine manufacturers know. It's astounding. It's astounding. And and quite frankly, it's... It's devastating to know that this is who is driving policy. This is who is deciding what you can and, or I'm sorry, what you must take into your body in order to keep your job, go to school, uh, travel, and so forth. It, it's, it's that dangerous. The vaccines cause heart damage. It's called myocarditis. I see this routinely in my practice every day. The U.S. FDA and regulatory agencies agree the vaccines cause myocarditis. That's heart inflammation. The genetic vaccines install the code for the lethal Wuhan spike protein, and the spike protein damages the heart. As more and more blood flows through the heart, more vaccine is deposited. In cardiology... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.